0: Score and seven minutes ago, we, your forefathers, were brought forth upon a most excellent adventure conceived by our new friends, Bill and Ted. These two great gentlemen are dedicated to a proposition which was true in my time just as it's true today the now playing's most excellent Bill and Ted retrospective series. Bill. What? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. With our most triumphant of podcast hosts, Jacob. Listen to this dude. He knows what he's talking about. Arnie. He's totally a robot. And Stuart. You know, you got a bad rap, but you're actually an okay dude. This podcast will contain heavy plot spoilers and heinous language.
1: Dude, I got a very bad feeling about this.
0: It'll be fine, Ted. Listener discretion is most definitely advised. Let's rock!
2: Today we're discussing Bill and Ted's bogus journey, starring... Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, William Sadler, Joss Ackland, and George Carlin, directed by Pete Hewitt. I'm Arnie G. Carvalho, Esquire.
3: And Stuart. And this is the host who could do infinity push-ups, but only girly style, Jacob. And we are... Now Now Playing! playing.
2: 1991. I remember this movie coming out. I had a job. I didn't go see it. To be honest... I don't think i would thought about Bill and Ted since 1989.
3: Yeah, I know they had a, a, some stuff come out in between. So again, TV stuff. I maybe watched an episode or two of the cartoon that they had at the time. But yeah, when I saw the trailer for this, this is weekend of release. I was super excited. For some reason, like my mom and siblings, this came out in the summer. They were out of town. I'm guessing they went ahead to go on summer vacation, probably to go to Arizona, where that first film was filmed that I knew so much about. And I think I still had hockey games going on. My dad had work, so we were still at home. And he calls me up from work. He's like, hey, you want to go see Bogus Journey? Hell yeah, I do. And so, yeah, he's like, meet me at the theater. I jump on my bike, (laughs) ride my bike to the movie theater. He comes there from work. And I talked about it with Army of Darkness. Like, I fell in love with Army of Darkness because I saw that trailer for that film opening up for Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Like, I have so many memories of this. And Stuart, I assume, nothing?
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't really even remember it coming out. I saw Keanu Reeves that summer, but it was Point Break. Is was the movie I went to the theater and saw. I
3: don't remember this. I mean, look, I love this movie. That is the better of the two. Both in the book, though. I guess I'm the uh, underrated Keanu Reeves appreciating fan. I think so.
1: I think you guys are really, like, trying to tell me that I'm r- i am got the wrong opinion about the guy, but
3: I'm telling you. No, no, it's just, it's just certain movies. You might have the wrong opinion about him in certain movies, but not overall.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I didn't groove to the first movie, there was no interest in going back again, and, yeah, I mean, it's kind of invisible. There's a certain type of movie that comes out that I have no idea whether it's a hit or not. I just... If it's got, like, a Saturday Night Live comedian in it, I have
2: no read on that.
3: Oh, don't see it. Don't see it. Yeah.
2: Well, I looked this up because I was curious. I think this is the weekend I saw Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which held number one at the box office. Bill and Ted came in number two. But far, far above the other film opening that weekend, Dutch, which opened at number 10.
3: All three films I've seen, all in the theaters. Wow. Dutch. Okay. I don't know if it was week can release for Dutch, but I did see that in the movie theaters with my mom and my aunt, and it was awkward when he had those nudie playing cards in it. <laughs> so why did it
1: fail? I mean, obviously, the original movie rented well. They rush out this cartoon
3: series. They got comic books. Stewart, that cartoon series, at least the first season. There's two seasons. I can't find them anywhere. They're not available to purchase, to stream, not even a torrent. I explored all avenues. The cartoon must be beloved
2: because you can buy it on DVD. Amazon if you want to pay $77 for
3: it new. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I you, Look, I don't want people to steal and torrent stuff, but uh, I'm not paying $77 just to check out an episode of that cartoon to talk about on the show. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. But no, they got Alex Winter. Okay, maybe that's a gimme. They got Keanu Reeves. They got George Carlin all back to do the voices for that first season of that cartoon.
1: That is impressive. I mean, it Keanu is. Reeves didn't need to do that. So it must be that he had a good time making the original.
2: Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd didn't return for the Back to the Future cartoon, so... I don't think he did the Teen Wolf one either. No, he didn't. I, I think his uncle might have. Uncle Howard.
3: <laughs> yeah, he, he's got nothing to do. I'll tell you what Alex and Keanu did not return for. I didn't know this existed until I was searching YouTube for clips of the cartoon to watch, just to get a, a, a flavor of it. There is a live-action, Bill and Ted... It premiered in the summer, so not a whole lot of faith in this. There was only eight episodes made. I read that seven of them aired. They didn't do the pilot, but I watched the pilot. That's what's on YouTube. And oh boy, is it... We talked about Small Wonder and Out of This World last week. Uh, It is below that quality
1: who were bill and ted was it polly shore and
3: i wish i wish there was anyone i would have recognized i didn't recognize anyone i looked them up Uh, some of them don't even have other credits and it was like the one i watched it was like something it's a not so wonderful life and rufus screws up the past and it turns bill into a yuppie and and he splits up with ted and but oh the acting the sets wow Low rent, it doesn't even begin to describe it. It was bad. What may be even more low rent than that awful TV show is the Nintendo game. Did did you guys play this, this Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? I remember renting it. I found out, oh, there's a Bill and Ted game for the Nintendo. I got to play this, rented it, spent like, you know, four bucks, I was so mad. Over the measly $4, this game because i rented it i didn't have i didn't have the instruction books i kind of had to figure it out you you start off you have a phone book with a bunch of numbers for time and then you got to go to a phone booth but you can't just pick a time you want to go to you got to figure out the weird mystery order of time periods to go in so you just you're sitting there dialing numbers over and over until one works and then there's this awful mini game where you're you have to go through the circuits of time and you could end up dying and then you just walk around and you try to find clues and then you'll you'll find like a light bulb and then you got to go to thomas edison's time and give him the light bulb or whatever it's it's awful like i played it for five minutes i was so mad i want my four dollars back Here's a
2: blast from the past for people who only have played games in the PlayStation era and on. I remember going to Toys R Us and going to their aisle where they had cards. You, I mean, people stole video games. so you They had cards there that you could see the front and back, and you took a ticket up to the register for them to unlock the games. They still do that at Costco when you buy a video game. I remember seeing the Bill and Ted game, and there was no game journalism per se there was nintendo power magazine
3: but they liked everything <laughs> everything was great <laughs> everything <laughs> the, the game journalism what should have tipped you off it was an lga end game and mm. they they were the worst they were the worst they, did they, you play they, that
2: jaws awful they did that impossible friday the 13th game mm. they, yep, they adapted movies and they were all awful i actually liked their nightmare on elm street one a lot It was kind of silly, but it was fun and it had a great music score to it. But I just, the only way you could judge a game was by looking at the back of the box at some screenshots and deciding right then, do these screenshots entice you to spend 40 bucks or not?
3: And it did not. Okay, man, I was mad over my $4. If I had spent $40 instead of like Super Mario Brothers 3 or so, oh, I would have been livid. I I would have built a time machine to go back in time and fix that mistake. Oh,
2: There are so many games that I bought and I'm like,
3: damn.
1: It seems to me if you wanted to make one that honored Bill and Ted, the best way to go would be like a guitar hero, right? Like you got to be playing (laughs) the electric
3: guitar. That's the way to be Bill and Ted in a video game.
2: Can you make Air Guitar Hero? Yeah.
3: Do you remember those toys? They were like an amplifier and it had some motion detector so you could play air guitar and it had like piped in sounds, and, but you'd just be moving your wrist through the air. Wow. I, I feel like that that came out because they, they had hit sticks, which were drumsticks you could play in the air and then make drum sounds.
1: I remember those, but I didn't know that you had an air guitar
2: that could play. I know. Mm.
3: Do you know they have air guitar championships? I
2: saw that as a bonus feature on the Shout Factory set. It's a real thing. I tried to watch the bonus feature and it was only six minutes after two minutes, the pretension when somebody said, I don't know why somebody call it fake guitar. Why can't you just call it guitar or air guitar? If you have to, I'm like, because you're not playing a, bleeping instruments no, they have
3: judges judging them like
2: i'm judging them i am judging them a lot
1: <laughs> yeah. we 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 should judge them just a little at least but yeah that's that's very uncool sorry it's just uncool
3: i feel like you don't get that though without bill and Ted. Stuart, you mentioned comics Evan Dorkin, writer and artist for those Bill and Ted comics. Evan Dorkin, he did Milk and Cheese and Dork, my favorite indie comics from the 90s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did get a job with Marvel. First, he adapted this script and did a comic version, which is interesting because you talked about the ending getting redone last time, Arnie. This original ending... Didn't test as well. They redid a lot of stuff. Stuff got caught out. I actually have the collected big bound version because he did the adaptation and then he did a 12-issue series of just Bill and Ted Adventures he made up. It all put together. And he says in there, he's like, I was shocked when I saw the movie because I wondered what happened to the script I adapted. I don't know why I took so much time adapting that script because there are a couple big scenes that I'll talk about as we go through there that got cut out, which Arnie, I don't know if they've ever released footage of them. Maybe some stills? I found some stills. I went looking specifically for this because I've probably listened
2: to the soundtrack to this 500 times or more.
3: Oh, such a better, like, look, we got Megadeth, we got Primus, we got Faith No More, like all bands I was hugely into at the time. Absolutely. And and the last
2: track on it is the Reaper rap. Oh, yes. Which is Steve Vai, who is a musician I love. I love Steve Vai in general.
3: Doesn't he just do the solo at the end of that? Or is he playing guitar throughout? He played guitar throughout, and he
2: did the mix with all the dialogue in it. He did that himself. It's kind of like Bat Dance, but for Bill and Ted's bogus (laughs) journey. I actually think it's a lot more like the song at the end of Dragnet, but... (laughs) Did they have a rap at the end of Dragnet? Yeah, it's exactly like this, where they've got a music and they just sample Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks in it. And Tom Hanks keeps yelling, thank God it's Friday. I don't remember that. But here, there were a lot of lines in the Reaper rap that aren't in the movie. <laughs> and so I'm like, that's usually a sign of some 11th hour changes. But this whole thing was a rush job. It started shooting in January with a hard release date in June.
3: Yeah, the the funny thing is... The studio wanted a sequel, and they had an idea, and they went to the writers, and they're like, "Look, we want a Bill and Ted sequel, and here's our idea." Any guesses what the studio's great idea for this movie
1: was? I know the original title was Bill and Ted Go to Hell. Was that what they wanted? Nope. That's
3: thanks to the writers, and that was the title throughout the production. They're like, "Oh, Bill and Ted Go to Hell" was on like the script reprinted, and then it got changed at the last second because theaters would not release it with that title because hell, it's the '90s. No. but no, the studio. They're like, yeah, have them be like in college and they have to pass an English exam. Did you guys watch Gumby? You remember when he'd go into books? and like interact they wanted that they're like yeah somehow rufus could have a machine that gets them into books and they can meet different literary figures they wanted to basically just do the same thing yeah the last film but with a new subject well isn't that what sequels normally do i mean yeah that's what they normally do and the writers are like no we think that's awful we don't want to do that and they're like here's our idea we want to kill bill and ted and what it came down to, they're like, the like, studio's like, no, we want this. They're like, we're going to go to Alex and Keanu and asked them which version they will, will do. And they went to Alex and Keanu, and they're like, there's no way we're doing the English book version. We want to go to hell. We want to do that. We're not doing the movie unless it's your script. And So that's how they got to do the version they wanted. I can understand
1: why you would be lazy. I just don't think grabbing William Shakespeare, or would it be like Alice from Alice in Wonderland? It would be fictional characters that they were running around with. They never even
3: came up with a treatment for that idea, so who knows where they would have gone.
1: If I was complaining last time that the joke wore thin, how much more is there to riff on with Jane Austen? I mean, it's just, (laughs) there's nothing there,
3: please. (laughs) I actually would love to see them in Pride and Prejudice. I mean, we already have Keanu Reeves doing those kind of movies. We talked about that with Shakespeare.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting that they're this beloved, I would call children's property, if they're making cartoons for Saturday morning. There is a generation that is primed for this. I guess that's why you don't do going to hell, right? Like, this is an edgier concept, a more adult concept for an audience that has gotten younger.
3: Yeah, though it is still
1: PG. Huh. Is it really? Okay.
2: Yeah, I would have thought this one would be PG-13.
3: That's what I thought, too. Mm Mm-hmm. It feels slightly more.
2: It's interesting back when the day when... They used to have PG movies.
3: Yeah, they still have them. They're just cartoons now. You could go see Trolls World Tour. And it's not like this wasn't, I think it made a similar box
1: office, but they spent a lot more money. And I think that the expectation was they wanted to grow something and this didn't expand beyond the original audience.
2: Yeah, I mean, I didn't see it. I saw the first one in theaters. I didn't see this one till VHS.
3: Yeah, you think they would have at least saved some money on this director, Pete Hewitt, who I didn't know how to look this guy up. This is the director for Garfield with Bill Murray. It's the, it's the director of Thunderpants, which is about a boy superhero whose superpower is farting. mm I thought that was the spleen in Mystery Men. I guess this is the kid version. Let's see. Home Alone, The Holiday Heist. Haven't even heard of that one. That was straight to TV. Yeah, that was
1: part five. They made it at Fox.
3: I actually saw it. Whoa,
1: you know that one? Uh Uh-huh, I actually
3: saw it. So I'm going to guess, you know, this is really this director's first full-length film. He had a a short before this, but uh, probably uh, also his best movie. Yeah. Even if you don't like this one, probably his best movie.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I did hear the original director being like, I was invited back and I saw that script and I really didn't want to do it because the first film was like a parody and this seemed like a parody of a parody.
1: And frankly, I won't miss him. Stephen Herrick is a director that I, he just became like a Disney whore. Like he made all these like mighty ducks. I know people like it. Mr. Holland's Opus, The Three Musketeers with Chris O'Donnell. Like he makes films that I'm not interested in seeing. So if they're getting a new guy and they're going to hell and they're being edgy, and have cooler music, all of these trends are making me not more excited, but at least feeling like uh, there's going
2: to be a new joke. And that's my hope. So let's find out. Arnie, right, give them the plot. It's been a couple years since Bill and Ted, played by Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves respectively, had their excellent adventure through time. Yet the boys have not taken their life very seriously, still not learning how to play guitar, the necessary skill they're to become a worldwide famous band. But they have a shot at getting noticed at the big Battle of the Bands event. Unfortunately, someone in the future wants Bill and Ted to fail. Chuck Denomalous, played by Joss Ackland, hates the utopian future in which he lives, a society formed by Bill and Ted's music and legacy. To ensure Bill and Ted bomb at the Battle of the Bands and never get that legacy, Denomalous created evil robot duplicates of Bill and Ted.
3: You do mean evil robot usses. (laughs)
2: Well, not of us, so
3: of them. That's how I always refer to them.
2: Evil robot thems? <laughs> us, them, who knows. The robots travel back to 1991 San Dimas and kill their human originals. They're going to bomb the Battle of the Bands, and after the battle, they're going to kill Bill and Ted's fiancés, the princesses from the last film who were also in the band. In the afterlife, Bill and Ted visit Hell then play the Grim Reaper in various games, with their prize being they can return to the living world if they win. They do win, but before going home they make a pit stop in heaven to ask God for help stopping the robots. God points them to two scientific geniuses in heaven, little aliens named Station. With Station in tow, they return to Earth. Station builds good robot Bill and Ted's who defeat the evil Bill and Ted's, so Denomalus comes to kill Bill and Ted himself. On stage at the Battle of the Bands, Denomalous is defeated by Bill and Ted, and arrested by Ted's dad. Now needing to perform in front of the world, Bill and Ted take their crew and time travel so they can learn how to play. They return to the stage instantly, but a lot of time has passed for those two, and they now have baby children. Ted father to little Bill, Bill father to little Ted. And now Station is in the band on bongos, and Death is even one of the Wild Stallions playing bass, and they play music that energizes the world. And as credits roll, we see their music brings about world peace, makes the Dow Jones average hit new heights, and their air guitaring even rids the world of pollution. The Wild Stallions, indeed, are a most legendary band. So as we start
1: here, I've got to ask, last time the movie was produced by Dino De Laurentiis, He's not involved this time. Was it a fractious relationship? Because I feel like Joss Acklin's Nomalus de Nomalus. No, it's Chuck de Nomalus. Well, no, he, they call him Chuck later. But if you look at his book, The Greatest Man in the World or whatever, he's named Nomalus de Nomalus. Huh. Which feels like Dino de Laurentiis.
3: <laughs> I did not catch that. But yeah, you might be onto something.
2: De Nomalus is Ed Solomon backwards. Okay.
3: Oh, it is. I just, yes. (laughs) So it is. So no
1: animosity towards Dino. He just was off making other stuff.
3: By the way, I know we don't do it anymore, but Joss Acklin, Golden Headphone winner. What are they? Apparently he was some Soviet in Hunt for Red October. Okay. And he was the diplomatic immunity in Lethal Weapon 2. He was the bad guy. Okay. Huh. I can't
2: remember him in Red October and we just did that film.
3: I know, just one of the many Soviets. I don't know, he might have been hanging out with the
1: cook, or who knows? No, no, he's not on the ship. He is the guy back in Mother Russia that gets the
3: news. Okay, he, okay.
1: So he's starting a revolution. It's still 700 years in the future, 2691. And he doesn't like the fact that,
3: yeah... Keanu Reeves is considered a foundational performer. See, Stuart, it's good that you recommended that last film or else you'd end up like Chuck here. You'd just be sour at <laughs> the future and just want to go back and destroy Keanu's career. Maybe you still do.
1: Is the joke that the world that they've created is kind of idiocracy? Is it the fact that when we get these shots of the university and all, like it is a parody of Utopia that we wouldn't actually want? Did Bill and Ted dumb everything down? Are people stupid
3: because they celebrate wild stallions? No, because they have time travel in the future. Like somehow they created a society that has time machines and they're going to learn directly from Thomas Edison and Jim Martin from Faith No More, which got me super excited when he showed up on screen. I don't feel like this is a dumb future.
2: It got me excited back then, but ironically, Jim Martin quit the band like a year after this. Yeah, he's
3: not in it anymore. Yes.
2: (laughs) He and Patton did not get along. Patton was a replacement singer. Yes. And Jim Martin has been very publicly bitter in the press about how yeah i want to see faith no more do a single concert where they don't play my songs because of course he did epic and he did the real thing and he did falling to pieces was he on angel dust he was on angel dust and left right after that and when they reunited they invited him back and he's like sure let me get some papers for my lawyers and they're just like all right no no we're gonna get the other guy again
3: Yeah, but I don't feel like this is a dumb future, Stuart. I I feel like if we could have some kind of presentation like this while our kids are on Zoom, (laughs) that's a great way to do distance learning. They're in the classroom, but they still got monitors in front of them. It's a different society because it's built on glam rock, which, yeah, it's hard to imagine that kind of utopia.
1: Yeah, I think it's the outfit. Again, the the fact that the moon boots and vests. Yes, it's very Disney with those foam boots. Yeah, the shaggy hairdos. I don't know if that's supposed to be an extrapolation in some way of Bill and Ted's look, but it sent the signal that maybe, just maybe, the Denomalous has a point.
2: (laughs) I do wonder what this utopia is like. I do laugh when they say next week we're going to talk to Ben Franklin and Aretha Franklin. That yeah, was money.
3: Yeah, I, I'm like, is this a music class? But you got Thomas Edison, you got James Martin, and then you got some future chick that made some weird sounding thing, but it sounds like an instrument to me. And you got Bach. Like, I'm not sure what this class is.
1: I think the idea is that sound and music became so important to this culture because of Wild Stallions, because that rock band pioneered new ways of hearing things. You can have these kinds of overlapping classes that deal with acoustics and science and musicology at the same time. I mean, it's just also funny just to think about Aretha Franklin trying to make small talk with Benjamin Franklin. I mean, that's just that's just a funny <laughs> thing to think about. But boom, yeah, they, they don't spend much time on this. And I'm glad. It's just enough for us to see that, yes, the villain is going to be Denomalus. He's going to ensure that this future never happens. We know already by their time-traveling logic that if it's happened, there's no way of changing it. People are stuck in time. They cannot influence it. So all that he's about to do will fail. There's no way it could work out. But he's still going to send robots of Bill and Ted back in time to replace them.
2: And I got thinking about Attack of the Clones. Remember Attack of the Clones, where Count Dooku was Qui-Gon's master and Yoda was Dooku's master? Here we find out Denomalous was Rufus's teacher.
3: No, they referenced Star Wars in the last film. It just feels like another Star Wars reference to me. Yeah, I definitely feel like they were
1: riffing on Emperor Darth Vader. And they're having a lot of fun with the fact that, oh, they're robots, they're metalheads. They're going to make that joke a lot.
3: Oh, but I got to say, I love the visual effects the special effects in this film again these practical robot suits again they know how to cut it just right so it feels like they're pulling off these rubber heads to reveal these plastic skulls that are see-through remember those see-through phones i had one of those as a teenager those were super popular like i love the look of these robots when they reveal their innards
1: ditto yeah they're scary herbie Hancock had a whole video rocket of like scary robotics and like that like these feel like people in the background that came alive
2: but we don't spend much time in the future we do see see Rufus chase the robots into the past, and then we don't see Rufus again
3: yeah that is one of the things with this film that I appreciate as a sequel like it's going to expand this universe go into literature books or or my guess would have been they go throughout time and take lessons from different musicians to learn how to play and that would be the film like I thought it was going to be time travel all over again that's really a bookend in this film like yeah that premise for the first film we're going to basically throw that out it's going to set up the plot but we're not going to come back to that till the very end
1: yeah Rufus sorry never meant much to me he was in the worst part of the movie like he was in all the stuff that wasn't working and he wasn't bringing george carlin humor into it so again the fact that he's tagging along or not means very little and the fact that he disappears goes unnoticed frankly until he pops back up in the climax
3: did you suspect he was going to pop back up
1: yeah uh, but i did not suspect not the way he does miss wardrobe pam Greer. no i didn't see that coming
2: I do have to ask, Stuart, since this is your first time seeing this movie and you knew nothing about it coming in. What did you think about everybody yelling station? I didn't get it. I couldn't figure it out because Jim Martin makes a big deal of yelling that
3: yeah which I don't know how he knows about that because at the end of the last film when Rufus is telling Bill and Ted what their music's going to do one of the things again I think it helps that they have the same writers here because one of the things he says is that your music's going to align the stars it's going to allow for extraterrestrials to contact earth and we're going to be able to trade technology all that kind of stuff and like people know about station at least here in the future and we're going to meet some Martians
1: yeah it's set up like the missing keys are in the first act of like yeah I'm hearing the word but is this important it's just this jangle in my ear that i'm barely paying attention to and throughout the movie you eventually realize that of course that we're going to meet station it's a two-person being like bill and ted frankly but smart and the real bill and ted they are auditioning to be in battle of the bands it has been five years since high school
2: so they're what? 23? They're No, I think it's just 2 years, so maybe 3, 88 to 91.
3: Yeah, I didn't get 5 years.
1: Joanne and Elizabeth are on drums and keys and we're told it's their 5th year in the 20th century.
3: Okay, I missed that line then. They have learned how to play, but Bill and Ted, you think given the knowledge that they have about the future, they would take some lessons by this time. Five years seems a very long time to still not know how to play your instrument.
1: Right, and this is what's being offered to them is a record contract,
3: $25,000, live TV coverage. Last spot. Look, I have played a midnight spot when I was in a band. We played at the uh, Roxy on Sunset Boulevard. And let me tell you, no one stays for the midnight band. We had about three people. Right. And it's said by Pam
1: Greer, the only reason they're getting their shot is because they work at Pretzel and Cheese.
3: No, no, no. They work for Pretzels and Cheese. Oh. Like, you don't have to pay them anything. Oh, I thought they worked at a place called Pretzels and Cheese. I always thought that they worked for Pretzels and Cheese, just like they, they were low rent. I don't know why she'd be paying them, but okay, they do work for Pretzels and Cheese. I, I, I'm looking at the subtitles right now. You guys are right. I, I concede. Like a
2: business, Pretzels and Cheese. They don't work for Pay-In Pretzels and Cheese.
3: Yes, it's in capitals. It's Pretzels, letter in Cheese. So you guys are right.
1: Yes, and I thought that it was a Chuck E. Cheese ripoff that we were going to go to because we had Automaton robots and needed the parts. I actually predict everything that happened at the hardware store would happen at a Chucky e. and Cheese place called Pretzel and Cheese. See, I just thought it was like an Auntie Anne's kind of place. So you're telling me, as far as you know, at no point do they go to a Chucky e.
3: Cheese place... No, they never go to Chucky e.
1: Cheese. ...to borrow the robot parts from the band on stage. They don't even go to a showbiz. Okay, all right. I was convinced <laughs> of that.
3: That that's where they'd build the robots from? Yes. So you predicted that they would build
1: good robots? I predicted we would get to a Chuck E. Cheese, and I predicted, once it was introduced to the idea that we need to build good robot Bill and Ted to fight evil robot Bill and Ted, that the best place to get those would be the rat on stage.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, nothing like that anywhere. Now, you mentioned the princesses. Recast. Monique is no longer here.
3: Monique's gone. Didn't notice. The princesses are never the same then. I'm like, are they going to really bring back the original actors? They're bringing back Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. Come on, we can't have sexism here. You bring the men back, bring the women back. No, they're they're way younger actors in the new film.
2: I have spoiled myself only by looking at the cast list. And yes, the princesses are like the kids from vacation. Every movie, the parents are the same and the kids are different actors.
3: at <laughs> Different ages. But it's it's their daughters, right? No, no, no. Their wives are in it too.
2: Oh, okay.
3: But they are they are much younger than the actors, than Alex and Keanu.
1: You can shout sexism all you want. I do feel like the princesses is- The babes, as it were, have never mattered in this. If Bill and Ted are going to be front and center in this, that seems right at this point. That's what they've told us is important. So it doesn't mean anything to me that they're maturing and getting married and it still feels like they're playing out of their garage and in high school.
2: They are, and they, yeah, they still suck, and they're still at a risk of going to the Alaskan Military Academy.
3: Yeah, you you got this birthday scene where we're going to find out that Missy divorced Bill's dad, and that I was married to Ted's dad, and there's the joke that maybe she'll marry him someday. They do that in one of the future comics. They show an alternate reality where Missy and Bill get married, but I think Ted's dad is just like, that's still an option. Like, he has no say, like, five years. The, the dude is 23 now. Like, he, he's got no say over if he goes to a military school. Yeah, that was a
1: confusing... I, again, it feels like if this had been a couple months after the last movie, we would have accepted that, right? Like, I mean, I don't feel like the actors look radically much older than they did. It's only been, what, three years?
3: No, I've always assumed that was the case until you just told me about that lion with the princesses being five years later. Yeah. It, it works better that way, frankly. But even Colonel Oates, that, I guess the head of that military school, is at this birthday party. I don't know how he got an invite. Well, he, he, the dad did say
2: he's friends with the guy.
3: Yeah, and I think they have to introduce him here because he is going to show up later.
1: Yeah, if you have to go the way that they go, then yes, you, you're setting up things that are going to matter in the middle of the movie.
2: I did like the party this is happening at bill and ted's place right i was trying to figure out why there was a faith no more poster on the wall at his dad's place
3: oh yeah that's their place and i don't know how they haven't been evicted like they've spray painted ws wild stallions on their door like i don't know any apartment complex that would let let you get away with that
2: are you sure they said five years because i've written down dates here that are all 91
3: some of the newspapers are from 91 so yeah i don't think that five year thing is right Pull up
1: the scene where the girls are introduced on drums and keyboards. They're, it's introduced, it's their fifth year in the 20th century. Which would put it at 93. Because the original movie, although released in 89, was set in 88. I mean, there's a lot of continuity. Again, you call him Chuck. And and, in, and on his book, he's called Nomalous de Nomalous. I mean, that's what happens when you rush a movie. Is like, there's all these things that don't sync up the guy that's called sergeant is uh actually a deputy list he's listed as a deputy but he's called sergeant when they go to the police precinct there's just there's a lot of mistakes
2: yeah that confused me because i know that actor and i was looking him up i'm like deputy they keep calling him sergeant it's called we're rushing the movie through well they're kind of rushing the plot through because before you know it even though bill and ted had previously said we need to be a big band so that we can Get engaged because we can't raise a family based on their pretzels and cheese paychecks. And yet they're still going to propose to the princesses. Plastic
1: rings,
3: Arnie, you know, like a Cracker Jack box special. Like, I mean, I saw that coming. But again, I said this last week. What I like about Bill and Ted is every once in a while they actually are smart. And when they're naming all these animals and Ted's supposed to be reciting... Uh Saltwater Fish, he he realizes he's naming Freshwater Fish.
1: Yeah, the idea is that they thought their life was going to be great after they solved the last movie, and it has been a whole lot of disappointment, and so I guess if I felt more like the princesses were characters or mattered, the storyline would be an important thing you know maybe they would have to give up life with the band is i don't get that sense and anyway particularly since they're in the band i don't feel like this is a crossroads of maturity that they're thinking
2: about marriage since the band is not working out i did like that they proposed like they wrote lyrics separately but it's almost the same thing they're saying it almost in unison like they just have they share a brain two heads
1: what was the song? Two heads, two heads are, are better, better than, than one. one. <laughs> They're gonna
3: tag team on each of their wives. Yeah,
1: two heads are better than one. Yeah, right.
3: <laughs> I guess Nelson is right. <laughs> I do agree with you, Stuart. Like, these princesses, you know, there's that term women in refrigerators. They're not going to get fridged, per se, but I do feel like, yeah, they're damsels in distress. They aren't real characters.
1: And again, they're not asking them to grow up. That would be, they're the new dad, right? Like, you have to stop being together so much because I want a family or I want this or that. Like, you could have put that real-world pressure on there and made this more adult. But I actually feel like wisely, they're like, no, we have a tween audience and we need to cater to them. And so it's all like all that grown up drama is just not addressed.
2: But what I found interesting and I didn't notice until this watching is... They mentioned that they've not had sex with the princesses. Five years of dating, but the princesses are most chaste.
3: Yeah, this is Nickelodeon. They're not going to have relations. I don't think they drink. Again, they don't smoke. They don't do drugs. There is a lot of
1: Pepsi cans lying around. I couldn't tell whether they're drinking beer or not. Sometimes it looks like
3: it. No, they needed some help from Pepsi for the funding of this film.
1: Yeah, it's a way to go. And I think I predict it's the way this next movie is going to go, where we really have to look at the fact that they're aging
3: and matured and and life choices and it is pg-13 the next one so maybe it's a little bit more mature
2: or they just don't make pg anymore (laughs) but for this movie
1: i think they're they're trying to age down keanu and alex and say that yeah they're just still lovable high school aged kids trying to make a band and maybe that's not a bad way to go three years sure Let's pick up where we last left, but let's do something different. And that is the joy that I have, was I thought for sure we would get a carbon copy plot from last week. And instead, nope, they're going to get kidnapped and
3: killed. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Stuart. And this is why I, I think it is underrated. It's something I appreciate about this. Just like Gremlins too. Like, I considered both for the book. And I had similar, like, reasons why I thought they were underrated a, as sequels. And I had to pick one. I went with this one. But I kind of created a straw man argument saying, oh, it's just going to be them going through time looking for musicians. That was probably the studio's idea. Well, the studio had just equally is probably a worse idea than I had. Like, really bad. And so I love that. Yeah, let's kill our character characters let's like not do try and travel it's off the wall oddball goofy we're gonna go to hell we're gonna go to heaven i love where this film goes
1: evil bill and ted is a good idea
2: oh yeah i love watching evil bill and evil ted more than i like watching good bill and good ted in this movie and jacob i completely agree with you i like that they're doing something really different with the characters and expanding the story we're not gonna focus on time travel and all of that but Don't you feel like there's an awful lot going on early on? We're getting Denomalous, and that fight, we're getting Evil Robot Bill and Ted's, Battle of the Bands, the Colonel guy engagement I mean it just feels like they're throwing a lot at me in a short time
3: I mean maybe it's because it's a kid's film and so it's ADD and we've got to have a new idea every 30 seconds or maybe it is more mature from a writing standpoint where they're like yeah we're gonna pack a lot more into this and hopefully this tween audience will follow it
1: yeah, I feel like it's more interesting, is the way I would I would say. Like, the, we talked about how conflictless, how there wasn't really any aggressor in the movie last week. And now we have a very clear one. And the fact that it's Bill and Ted versus Bill and Ted, that they're their own worst enemies.
2: Again, there's a lot of, of interesting ideas to play with just in that alone. I want to give a shout out to the split screening here. I couldn't catch I could never find the line. No,
3: it's great. And look, it's funny because it's always Bill interacting with Ted, whether it's the evil Bill or the evil Ted. It's always one good one and one bad one. The opposites because they got to do that split screen. It's the obvious thing to do. But yeah, I was watching too. I'm like, okay, where is it split? And it looked pretty seamless. Like I I never noticed it.
1: The importance of the Star Trek episode and them being pushed off the cliff at the same place is that a Richard Matheson episode?
3: (laughs) I don't know that. I think it's because Because look, I talked about the last one. That was supposed to be San Dimas. It was not, it was Arizona. This one, this is my hometown. Like, Vasquez Rocks, where that Star Trek episode takes place, and where Bill and Ted's going to get thrown off. That was just a few miles from where I lived. The hardware store we're going to see later—I never bought nails from there, but I went with my dad when he needed nails or some kind of tool. So yeah, I, I know this area where this was shot, and so I, I think it's just mirroring that—that that, that it's funny that at least as a kid, this was the joke to me—that they saw a thing on TV and then they do the real thing in real life.
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. It's that the writers loved that episode as a kid and found out they could shoot there. So they put the episode in. It's not symbolic. I thought they were setting something up,
1: too, when they get there and they're like, catch you later, Bill and Ted. I actually thought they were going to do the time travel thing and literally have to catch themselves. They were going to have to save themselves from dying. Because, I mean, again, they don't show it, maybe to protect those tweens, but they get shoved off the cliff and then Lugie spat on them. I mean, it really is unceremonious how they're taken out of this film. It's starting to feel Terry Gilliam, really, with the way that they dispense of these lovable characters.
3: And what I love about when they do they don't come back to life, but I guess we see their spirits or something. It kind of goes black and white, but I would love is the sound design. And again, this is a a silly movie about two idiots traveling through time or or going to hell or whatever, but no, they take the time to really design this world. And if you listen, they have that reverse effect as they talk. So it just makes it feel otherworldly. And just, again, this is a goofy movie, but like, it helps me buy into some of these premises, like that they did pay attention to these little details.
2: Yeah. It's a sound I've heard before or in other movies. I think it's Poltergeist. They took kind of like the Poltergeist sound.
3: Yes, yeah, you're probably right, yeah.
2: And did that from when Carol Ann was calling from the closet. But yeah, I do like that. And it's it's funny to me because it's not like they shot in black and white. They they put like white powder on Bill and Ted and put them in black and white clothes.
3: Yes, they obviously have makeup on.
2: But this is where we get my favorite character Of the entire Bill and Ted saga. William Sadler as death.
3: Yeah, William Sadler steals this film.
2: Totally.
1: And that was the thing I knew about it. You said I came into this knowing nothing. That was front and center on the poster. They were going to play around with death. This was going to be a joke on a Bergman movie, which is like, what? Really? Do people know that movie? I went back and rewatched it just to see how close it is. And it is amazing how close Sadler really is. Like, he could have been in the Bergman movie. Like, the performance he's giving would actually have fit in the 1956 (laughs) Swedish film.
2: What's funny is with this movie, when I watched it on video, is what pushed me to finally see uh, The Seventh Seal. (laughs)
3: Oh, same with me. I saw The Seventh Seal because I saw this film. My dad's like, oh, that's from a real famous movie. But I really do think they were trying to go after that Bergman look for death because in the comic, the adaptation, again, I, I don't know what kind of references Dorkin had as, as the artist to, to design death, but he draws him as, as a typical Grim Reaper with a skeleton head. Here, you know, in that Bergman film, The Seventh Seal, it's it's a dude with pancaked makeup on and a big black cloak, exactly as you see here. Right. And so help me out here. I was alive in the early 90s. I don't remember this reference. What's a Melvin? That's when you reach down, you grab the person's the, their underwear waistband from behind and you just pull it up their ass as hard as you can.
2: That's a wedgie. Yeah, a wedgie. I've never heard the term Melvin. It's the same thing. Does the term Melvin exist outside of this movie?
3: I I used it as a kid, so maybe it's a California thing. I don't know. I assumed it was a pop culture character named Melvin or something. No, no. Just me pulling the underwear up the butt. Yeah,
2: I knew it was a wedgie, but I didn't know why they kept calling it a Melvin. Yeah, that was really throwing me.
3: Yeah, I don't know the etymology, but I know, (laughs) again, at least out here in LA, we called it that. I don't know how we came upon that term, but... Interchanged it between melvin and wedgie okay
1: so i didn't know how much of the games with death there was going to be but this is they actually they run from that they're on the run from death at at the start of this they give him a melvin or a wedgie whichever you prefer and they're going to walk 50 miles back to their girlfriend's house where the evil robots have stolen a porsche and are terrorizing them and breaking up with the girls even before they get there and having the engagement called off
2: Trying to get them to put out, as they say, and the princesses are like, forget it, take your plastic ring, we're not playing in the band, and we're done with you.
3: I do love, like, ghost Bill and Ted. I'm not sure what to call them. Good Bill and Ted. They're watching this whole thing go on, and, you know, the princes are leaving. I do love, like, they walk through ghost Bill and Ted, and they do that weird wobbly effect. (laughs) But I I don't know if you noticed that both those actors just have these big grins. Like, they really enjoyed having those princess walk through I did. And that's why they, like, get out of the way when the robots come.
2: It was like, finally, penetration occurred with the princesses. (laughs) But when they can't talk to the princesses, let's try dad. Yeah. Inspired by Exorcist
1: 1 and 3. Uh, they're going to <laughs> jump in his ear down at the police precinct and try and tell all the cops they need to do something about the princesses.
3: I've only seen the first exorcist.
1: Is there no possession in the second one? Uh, no, there very much is. Like, there's some crazy, crazy shit. Locuses. Maybe that's just because there's no Kakumo. <laughs> I don't know.
2: I was thinking George C. Scott in 3, and he's a... Well,
1: no, in three, it's Brad Dorif down in the basement that's possessed.
2: Right, but there was a cop, like, investigating it, and they're going to a police
3: precinct. I just took it as a possession joke. I, I don't remember any police precinct in the first deck.
1: I didn't care for Hal Landon Jr. much in the last movie, but man, he does a great- He is so
3: good as Ted. A
1: great piano here. He's amazing. Yeah, I, I could have watched this for a while. I'm actually disappointed when they only just do it for this bit here and
3: eat a bunch of donuts and then say, let's get out of here. Yeah, Bill joins in. He's like, dude, donut. Like, yeah, I I could have spent some more time in that.
2: And that other guy, the sergeant, is a character actor I've just seen in a ton of stuff. And it might have been wise for them to stay cops for a while.
1: That could have helped them investigate if they were flesh and blood characters that people could see. But I guess, again, this movie is inventive. It keeps coming up with new scenarios. And that will not be a complaint for me. Feeling like last time it was the same joke again and again. I like the fact that every scene is bringing a new dynamic. And next we move on to Missy hosting a, a new age... Say like, I don't remember that being a
3: thing. This feels kind of out of left field. And I do wonder if she ad-libbed her line that she wants to talk to Ty Cobb, because in the comic, she wants to talk to Judy Garland. and And that writer is working off the shooting script, so not sure why that changed.
2: Did you guys notice at the seance, the two guys from Ziggy Piggy were there?
3: I did not realize that was them. No, those are the writers. They put themselves in as the Ziggy Piggy guys last time. Oh, so they were the Ziggy Piggy guys. Okay.
2: (laughs) And now they're here at the seance with Missy. And this is how they go to hell. Like Bill and Ted, at
1: first they're successful. They're floating over the circle, obviously checking out mom's cleavage.
3: (laughs) Yeah, looking down her shirt. (laughs) Yeah,
1: but their warnings, their attempt to save the babes, only get Missy scared. She grabs a spell book, and before you know it... We're going to go to hell, as promised. The movie's not called that, but they're going to keep that plot trans.
2: Yeah, the spellbook she grabs, there's some serendipity going on. Bill and Ted Face the Music was meant to come out now, and we were meant to review it now, because that spell book she grabs is Stephen King's Four Past Midnight, and the page she opens to is Secret Window, Secret Garden.
3: Oh, weird. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead serious. I'm going to have to go back and, yeah, freeze frame that, that. I don't
1: remember that having any incantations, but okay.
2: No, the cover said the riddance of evil. But when you look at the page, it's four past midnight. They just <laughs> grabbed a big book. Yeah, well, that'll
1: do it. Yeah, if you need the biggest book on the shelf, it's going to be a Stephen King book.
2: And yeah, they end up in hell. I wondered how they got to hell. I couldn't remember. I mean, I knew they met death and I thought maybe they just went to hell because they didn't do much with their lives. But no, it's Missy's spell that casts them down.
3: And I do believe the trailer. Like, I remember the trailer vaguely i should have looked it up but most of it was just this scene of them going to hell where they're falling down this bottomless pit and they're screaming and then it's going on so long they get bored and they play 20 questions and then they scream again like i remember that just like being almost the whole trailer and instant buy-in for me at 14 sure
2: there was a scene cut right here that i i know about from the reaper rap where like they're enslaved and forced to break rocks. And-
3: yeah, they land in hell and they say our album covers lied to us. I agree. Like, look, I don't have, I love the robots. We're going to talk about the Easter Bunny and Grandma Preston a little bit. I love how all that stuff looks. This, this scene with these floating rocks and the devil, uh, not great as far as the look. Yeah, I mean, it, what it sends the
1: signal of is, like, we know where we are. A red light and chains and moaning in the background. It begs a big cameo, right? Like, I mean, if you're going to talk about album covers, this is where you hire Ozzy to play Satan, right? Yeah. Like, you get a big figure to do it. Instead, we have, like, robot demon faces, like, chewing up
3: the rocks. That. And the thing is, Arnie talked about that deleted scene. They meet one of the guards of hell and like he gives them hammers and shovels so they could just break rocks. You'll actually see them holding those tools as they're approaching the devil, like because yeah, they, they had to go off that stuff that they shot and they cut it all out. But that satanic guard had kind of this cool helmet and kind of matched that robotic face. Like some of the stuff looks great. It's it's just that it's, it's mostly that devil. Like it just looks like a dude in a suit. <laughs> Yeah, the the demon
2: guard I saw on a trading card, he kind of looked like Guar. Yes. Is it that they
1: cut this stuff down to help the movie flow to a 90 minutes breeziness, or is it that there is something really provocative and maybe... No,
3: no, it's not provocative. It's just kind of a stupid joke about how they're really impressed how they could break rocks. Okay. And so maybe they just cut it for pacing.
2: Okay, so it's not like they flirted with an R rating. No, no. And, you know, there may have been a really, really bad special effect, because I did see a photo of a guard pulling a rat out of his mouth, like an anti ozzy Maybe that didn't work? I mean, I
1: feel like they're quote-unquote bad special effects, but in the same way that, like, Beetlejuice has bad special effects. It's obviously a Tim Burton aesthetic. They're trying to recapture that afterlife vibe, and it's not Tim Burton. Tim Burton has his own visual flair, but... I kind of enjoy some of the art direction here.
3: Yeah, when we get into that, you know, they find all these rooms and they're each going to face their worst nightmares. At first, they're both together. So Colonel Oates comes at them and you got to do infinity push-ups and then they decide to split up. So they they only have to face their own worst nightmare. And we get, I I love the suits, whatever, these puppets like this Easter bunny because Ted ate all the chocolate out of Deacon's basket when they were a kid. So the Easter bunny's coming for revenge. And Grandma Preston, who's just Alex Winter, you know, dressed up as an old lady, needs that kiss. Like little Bill would never want to kiss her. And she just wants that kiss from him. And these prosthetics, these these outfits, if you watch Idiot Box or if you watch Freaked, which is a Alex Winter, Keanu Reeves team up after this movie uh, where it's it's Randy Quaid using like toxic waste to make Garbage Pail Kids, basically. Yeah, it's a freak show movie, right? Yeah, and great look. They look like rubber. you know. Obviously, they're not realistic looking, but just great design and just some of that great practical stuff. I don't know if it's the same costume or, or effects makeup people here, but it, it's definitely got its own style. You say Burton, yeah, it kind of feels like Burton, but it's something that, I, I don't know, I associate with Alex Winter because he had that look on his MTV show and on that on Freak, so I, I don't know if he had involvement here or not. He definitely pushed
2: to play Grandma Preston. And it wasn't until this watching that I realized it was Alex Winter. It's such good makeup. All the You never noticed that? I never noticed it. I didn't
1: know for sure, but I figured it had to be somebody. And that, that made sense to me because it was obviously a
3: latex job and not an actress. Yeah, just the hairs coming out of the moles on his face. Just it is off-putting. I would not want to kiss that grandma.
1: And she's an Esquire. Like, how do these people end up
2: being lawyers? Like, I don't I really don't see Bill ever becoming a lawyer. <laughs> I think that's the joke. <laughs> okay, I I looked this up. Esquire in today's America primarily means lawyer. However, in the United Kingdom, esquire was a title of respect accorded to men of higher social rank, r- above the rank of gentleman and below the rank of knight. By the early 20th century, it came to be used as a general courtesy title for any man in a formal setting as a suffix to his name, like Todd Smith, Esquire, with no real significance. And today in the UK, it's used in a written style of address in formal or professional correspondence. So the
1: joke is a surfer dude is using a very formal title when, in fact, you know, nobody around him would even understand what he's referencing.
2: Right. He
3: is not a lawyer. Yeah. Both of their names have these jokes when they use these formal terms. Like, Ted Theodore in quotes. Like, that's the nickname, Logan? Yeah. Like, it's, it's not Theodore Ted Logan? Sure. Okay. Well, that, thanks for clearing that up.
2: Yeah, I had to look that up because I didn't even realize Esquire meant lawyer. And I'm like, okay, I have to know what Esquire means. <laughs> Yeah, I thought for sure the
1: third
3: movie was going to see him go to law school. I, I, I'm actually a little disappointed, <laughs> quite frankly. But yeah, this is why they decided to play the Reaper, take up his challenge. They got to get away from these nightmares. And the only way to do that is to beat death.
2: Best scene in both movies.
3: Oh, yeah, in, in I'm going to predict the franchise. I haven't seen three, but I'm
2: going to predict nothing will top this. Oh, my God, it is so funny. Because, again, I, I mean, even before I saw The Seventh Seal, I knew about playing death in chess and that it would be so solemn. And William Sadler is just so good as this role. He's doing like a faux Swedish accent,
1: right? I think so. Yeah, it's, it feels European. Again, it really feels like a mimic ...of the actor that played against Max von Sydow.
2: Yeah, it, but it's really strong here in the beginning... ...because he keeps the same blank facial expressions like Death in that Bergman movie... ...but as he keeps losing games like Battleship... ...is when he transforms into a more original characterization of Death. Yeah, that he, it was supposed to be like,
1: play against me, they pick the game battleship like I think that's the joke but then when death loses he's like no two out of three and then we got to go through the whole game room like clue and
3: (laughs) whatever that magnet football game was that magnetic football yeah Yeah. I never played that I associate that with like the 60s or 70s I'm not sure how that works
2: oh no I played that thing it's like a how does it work it's motorized and you know I never really got it to do anything except the characters spun in a circle (laughs) Could yeah, like they show it. in this
3: movie. Mm. <laughs> that's never. all I've ever seen is the characters <laughs> spinning in circles. And then, of course, Twister. that That's when, I guess, Death finally gives up. he He's not going to make him play any more games. Right. So the, the plan is we've got to build good robot. And to make those good robots, I guess Death takes them to heaven. That's where they're going to find the person that could help them out. And it, again... I don't know, Stuart, did you think we're going to go to heaven too after being to hell? I, I guess it kind of makes sense.
1: In retrospect, it was, of course they had to do it, but I wasn't predicting it. No, I didn't. Again, I'm constantly surprised by this movie. I, I basically assumed it would be them facing off against death in various games throughout the the act two. And in fact, that was just, what, five minutes. But like it, the, the advertising told me that was the appeal of the movie. So it's really, I think part of... I'll call it the problem, although it's not one for me, but maybe the marketing challenge is, this movie's so all over the place, I don't know how you would sell the audience on what the experience was going to be. Best to go in not knowing anything and just... Take the ride. Yeah. All of a sudden we're in heaven and jazz artist Taj Mahal is sitting there with a big book and a quill asking you what the meaning of life is.
3: Yeah. You got to mug some people to get in there, steal their costumes. Go to heaven and mug people. That to me is hysterical. Yes. (laughs) And just look at the costumes like these people walking in. They're all like white or I don't know, kind of a lavender grayish pastel. Yeah, I didn't quite get this joke. Why are the
1: wise men wearing overalls and aprons and trench coats?
3: Well, no, it's just showing, it's like, there's a woman in a bathing suit walking up with like a big hat, sun hat on. Yeah, there's a boxer too. There's a Yeah, there's a boxer, there's a Chinese guy with the rice patty hat, probably not the most politically correct thing these days, but like, yeah, it's just people of all kinds coming into heaven.
1: Oh, the background characters, but they, they specifically call
3: these wise dudes. Well, you do see that you, I guess you have to be wise to get into heaven. You got to answer what the secret of life is or the purpose of life. But I think that's to see God like
2: they say only the worthy get an audience with God. They're already in heaven. That's not the gates of St. Peter to get into heaven. This is to get an audience with God.
3: Yeah, I didn't take it that way. It doesn't matter, though. (laughs)
1: Mm, yeah, I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter. Because it's a funny joke. I don't know why they have to quote Poison to get <laughs> in. I would think, actually, Taz Hall would be against hair metal ballads. I was certainly against that
2: song. And it's a callback to last time with uh, All We Are Is Dust in the Wind. Yeah, yeah.
3: Which normally I'd complain about, but we've had so few repeated jokes. And so they finally
1: get to this staircase leading up to a blinding light. That is God, a booming voice staircase to heaven? Sure. They don't make that joke. They did make a Fear the Reaper joke, but they did not make a Stairway to Heaven joke, I don't think. I think they did. It was visual. (laughs) Right. Exactly. But they didn't call it out, which I appreciate. And God proclaimed station, whatever again, this word that I keep hearing, I have no... It gives them a
3: very weird map.
1: (laughs) Yeah. This circular plastic map that takes them to a fugitive from Jim Henson's Creature Studio.
2: Now, if I can nitpick something, you guys know certain things just stick with me for years and years and years, and I always wonder what it means. I have always been a little bit confused, because we get there, and Station is two little aliens playing charades with Ben Franklin and Albert Einstein, and Albert Einstein figures out the answer is "Smokey and the Bandit 3: Smokey is the Bandit. But that's not the title of the film. The title's just Smoky and the Bandit Three. Right Is that the like subtitle? Is that a line from the trailer? And I looked it up and it turned out the original title for Smoky and the Bandit 3 was "Smokey Is the Bandit and early posters said it, but I never knew that.
3: Maybe Richard Matherson told his son about that. He's like, guys, there's this movie coming out in the 70s. Uh, That was probably the 80s, though, by then.
2: Yeah, that was the 80s by the time they were at part three. But I was always confused
3: because I'm like, that's not the name. (laughs) But Artie, Station, these two little Martians, you know who plays them? Like two of your favorite actors. Yeah, Tony Cox and Howard the Duck. Yes, Ed (sighs) Gale and Tony Cox. Oh, boy. Well, I mean, you know, (laughs) they
1: did have a monopoly on special effects films for little people. I mean, sure, I would call them. They know what it is to be in a suit for 12 hours under hot lights.
2: Tony Cox became a real actor and Ed Gale was Howard the Duck. I I mean real actor cuz he did Bad Santa? Oh, he's done a lot more than Bad Santa. I mean safety dance video for one. <laughs> okay. He was also in Me Myself and Irene in a very funny role.
3: Oh, that's right. I don't remember anything funny about that. Oh, he was hysterical.
2: <laughs> I'm laughing now at the Mets again. They met at a Mensa meeting.
1: So this is the character that's going to sort of solve everything for them. He's going to create the robots using alien technology again. I think it would be better if they went to a Chuck E.
3: Cheese and grabbed parts from the robots on stage. But I do love death as like, oh, you, you expect the smartest people in the universe to come from Earth? Of course it's going to be aliens.
1: I like the fact that when they get back in their bodies, like worms are crawling in their ears and like they're starting to rot.
3: Yeah, Ted talks about it like a buzzard
1: was picking out his brains. This movie feels less cute than last week and you guys loved it so much for being kind of innocent and pure. I'm wondering, do you like the
3: darker humor, I guess I would call it? darker by very light shades of gray I would say sure. like yes this they wanted to call this Bill and Ted go to hell and, and I get that like we're, we're dealing with the devil and death and they're still the same goofy character so yeah they're tackling darker material and look I'm two years older when I'm watching this in theater so I appreciate that it, it's darker uh, but it's not really that much darker but yeah it's no, still no. a PG even though we all thought it was PG-13 It it does have that again it kind of has that vibe that it might be
2: and I agree with Jacob that it's there's still the cuddly characters
3: they're planning on dismantling robots but uh, that's as far as it goes they've talked about killing the princesses and those evil robots get kind of rapey when they're on them
2: oh no i'm not saying the robots i'm saying bill and ted the characters are still the light hearted cuddly people they were last time
3: yeah
1: but again the actors get to play it both ways because Other times, they're playing basketball with their own heads and, you know, like mowing down cats. There's a whole obsession they have right from when they land in the phone booth of, like, wanting to squash cats uh, later in the Porsche.
2: That is funny as a running gag. They never hit a cat. That would be too much.
3: Yeah, that would make it a PG-13. Yep, I think you're right. But, yeah, they go to the hardware store, the the good... Bill and Ted with death and station. They go and buy everything. Meanwhile, Bill and Ted, they are on the phone. They're trying to call the princesses to warn them. They call Missy's. They're staying with Missy because they've broken up. I don't know why they have to. Maybe they're just getting consoled by Missy. It's the era before cell phones. You can't call them directly. It's got to be someone's home. Yeah, they're on a payphone in the store. I guess. Yeah, I guess I remember seeing those kind of things. They said that they tried the
2: princess's place and no answer. And So they check. They called Missy to see if they were over there.
3: But they're too late. Evil Bill and Ted has already, already have the princesses. They've knocked him out with their evil breath. I think they say. Yes. Yeah, this was a retake. Yeah, there there is a really cool scene. The way it played out in the comic, Robot Bill and Ted, they go over to Missy's to get the princesses and they unzip their bodies and bill is in a ted body and ted is in a bill body and i guess that just freaks out the princesses and they faint and they shot that like if you look at the ground you can see remnants of clothing from them taking off their skin switching bodies or whatever I don't know why they cut that. It sounds like a cool idea. It looked cool in the comic, at least.
2: The effects look pretty cool, too. The one thing they did cut, though, is Missy didn't pass out when they unzipped, so they punched her.
3: That's right. That is in the comic, a full-on punch. I thought, I'm like, ooh, that's real rough.
1: Yeah, there's some definitely a few degrees darker than the last movie. And again, for me, that's helpful. That's allowing me to connect with it as an adult. But maybe if you loved it as a kid, you're right. It's been a couple of years. You should have grown up a little. You should be able to handle this. It's not yeah. edgy. It's not R-rated, but I do think that like you could show the first movie to maybe 8-year-olds and maybe not this
2: one. Wait till they're 11. But I think this ending gets a little bit messy now. I think once you got the good robots and
3: Oh, it's totally reshot. The way it worked, the robot Bill and Ted left missies with the princesses they pull these cylinders they pull one pulls two out and one pulls one cylinder out of their chest it's it's kind of weird out of those cylinders we get a call back guys pops colonel Oates, the easter bunny and grandma preston who hunt down bill and ted as they're leaving the hardware store and there's a big battle and they finally have to face their nightmares that bill gives grandma a kiss she turns nice Ted calls up Deacon, admits that he stole his Easter basket. but The Easter Bunny's cool now. And they, like, they turn Colonel Oates into, like, a hippie. Like, they, they turn him on to peace and everything. And so there was a whole, like, <laughs> scene. And again, there are stills. Like, they shot some of mm. this. I've, that Easter Bunny does look scary. Kind of looks like the bunny and Donnie Darko.
1: Yeah, I feel like you needed them to come back one more time. If they were set up as the, the idea of hell, I do feel like they... Yeah, facing them down in some way. I, that sounds acceptable. That
3: sounds like a way to deal with it. How do they get out of hell? Again, it's very weird. The, the robot, Bill and Ted, they pull these cylinders out of their chest and somehow these demonic things show up on Earth. It, it's not very well explained. That seems,
2: yeah. How did they
3: know that these were in hell? and? Okay, so there's a whole ending of Denomalos and robot Bill and Ted in hell. Like together, like somehow robots go to hell if they're bad.
1: Yeah, I would think that Bill and Ted know enough about their real counterparts that these robots could know what their worst fear is and make it manifest in some way. That's acceptable. What is not acceptable is building good robots to Winger.
3: Yeah, Wing. Look, I I love that Primus is going to show up. I talk about we get a little Megadeth sting when when they're about to die. We get James Martin and Winger. Like that may be worse than Power Tool.
2: All right. I, I really like miles away. I like e- easy come easy go headed for a heartbreak.
3: 17. I would like to think they just chose this song because it's called Battle Station and they keep saying Station throughout the movie as you know Station builds these robots he's like combined himself together into one giant station with a beautiful big ass I do think this may be the
2: second best Winger song.
3: Okay I, that's a debate I don't want to take part in nor could I because I don't <laughs> like Winger.
1: But I think Beavers and Butthead is what made Winger like the pariahs. They turned them into the punchline up to that point that Winger was no worse than White Lion you know like there was white lions
3: really bad too i mean
1: you know there was plenty of this and nobody was taking any pot shots
3: yeah it was that neighbor kid with the winger shirt and on beavis and butthead that yeah
1: yeah it was the beavis and butthead that made them seem like they were the worst and is it a millie Vanilli reference that they come together in like chess bust and and Be- station becomes a big giant creature because that was the millie Vanilli move like that was how they did every music video
3: That's true, and there's another Milli Vanilli reference at the end with lip-syncing, so maybe... Mm -hmm. Maybe? I didn't think it. I do know in the Marvel series that Dorkin did after he adapted this film, he does have an issue where it's like the Trouble with Tribbles, where instead of combining, Station gets sick and breaks off into smaller and smaller pieces, and he gets dumber as he breaks apart, so I guess the, the point is he's even smarter when he combines... I just took it as a Voltron thing. (laughs) But yeah, we get to the Battle of the Bands where Primus is playing. I don't know how anyone else is going to win. They're already like a major band that that have two studio albums out. Like, I'm jamming to them.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but Tommy the Cat is not their best song. It's one of their most well-known ones. My problem is we are at the Battle of the Bands for the next 20 minutes. The entire third of the film is... On stage at the Battle of the Bands, trying to
3: resolve a ton of plot threats. I love it. We get a Guar show. Well, yeah, this was going to go much quicker. They had a different ending. Audiences did not like it. Nomalo shows up. He like tries to shoot them and they use the evil robots after their heads have been ripped off to bounce the lasers back. And Chuck just dies. And that's why he ends up in hell in the shooting script, at least. I I don't know if that stuff ever got filmed, but that was going to be a joke at the end. But then they kind of just play like the good robots. They don't even do anything they start running and they run so fast. They go out of the auditorium, run around the entire world. And while Bill and Ted are defeating the robots and Denomalos, they just show up to catch the princesses as they fall. That's bad. But here they don't do much more. Yeah, they just punch the robots heads off. What I do like about that original ending is there's another payback, just like those nightmares from hell have a payback. They show back up and that whole thing has to be resolved. That the whole joke with death That, you know, best two out of three, best three out of five, best, four, you know, four out of seven. The Bill and Ted die again and they go to death and they go, we beat you four times. You brought each of one of us back. That's two times. You have to bring us back one more time each. So like there is a payoff to death losing over and over to them in the original script. I don't know
2: that I needed that. I I enjoyed the joke of death being a poor loser. I didn't need that to necessarily pay off as much as I need these good robot items to pay off
3: what's funny to me during this battle of the bands this show that Bill and Ted are putting on like it's a great show but people are reacting like they know what's going on like Denomalo shows up and they're just like boo like they act like they know this whole storyline like they've seen this show (laughs) 10 times before and they wouldn't but again Bill and Ted I said they should be on YouTube they should be in production they put on a good show and again that's a big part of being in a band like even being in a punk band why do you think we have funny haircuts and, and say offensive things it's all about the show it's about putting on an act not always about about the music and again this would be a great opening uh, act for guar like I, I would love to see the wild stallions open up for him and have this kind of show going
1: <laughs> and they have a global audience dave Nomalus has like zapped the channel 12 tv cameras so that they now broadcast to every tv in the world
3: and supplies subtitles like when they're watching in china they have the chinese letters up there you know
2: it's 700
3: years of the future they have that tech And William Sadler gets to come back as a different character. Yeah, he's now an Englishman sitting
1: with his family at the breakfast table, having a jolly good show. Like, I guess it's just to show that he has range here and (laughs) they don't have to pay another actor either. But yes, global stakes here. Is it sloppy? Sure, it's sloppy. But I mean, the last movie, they didn't have an antagonist to fight. This one is coming together in the same kind of auditorium setting. But there's enough conflict for me to feel like it's still engaging.
3: And again, to me, the shock is that this is the only other time time travel comes back. Like, they're going to play that time game again where they set up little things to, you know, Denomalos and Bill and Ted to get back at each other, you know, a cage, a key. They're going to booby trap the gun in the past so it won't work. Like, oh, I paused the movie to write down my complaint. (laughs) They cheat.
2: Yes, because they can do the cage, but Denomalos does the key. But if Denomalos is captured... Then how would he ever place the key and they explain it away, though? Yeah, they explain it all, that they set everything up because they're the winners. Yeah,
1: history is written by the winners. I mean, the past is is understood through that context. So I actually thought that was kind of funny. And of course, Death is there to give him a Melvin or a Wedgie. Yeah. And Captain Logan redeems himself in the eyes of his son.
3: Book 'em, Dano. I love how Death says, Book 'em, Dano. Like, again, that weird faux European accent. Mm-hmm. And
1: then Miss Wardrobe, who, again,
2: you have Pam Greer, but she really hasn't done anything. Just like George Carlin. <laughs> but who was Pam Greer, you know, around this time before. Jackie Brown, an actor you've hired
1: to play a role who hasn't really done anything is all I'm saying. And I guess she's been enough of the story that we know that this explains where Rufus has been all this time.
2: This is where the unzipping of Bill and Ted would have paid off, because in the theatrical cut, this is the first time we ever see anybody unzip a skin.
3: But I love it. It looks great. So again, I don't know why they, I guess because of that punch, or maybe it was too scary the way they filmed it. Who knows? But besides that devil, I I don't have a whole lot of complaints with the visual effects.
1: No, I think they're actually in keeping with the spirit of the movie. They're goofy, a little cheesy, and yeah, a a little crazy and and, and mind-expanding.
3: And so they go into the future. They're going to do an 18-month intensive course. You know, they say you got to do, like, if you want to be a master at the guitar, you got to do 10,000 hours. I guess I should have done the math. Are there 10,000 hours in 18 months where, look, they're having babies, too. They had to go to the hospital. Like, that was a busy 18 months when they show back up and they got kids and everything.
2: According to Google, 10,000 hours is
3: 1.1 years. Okay, there you go. Man, they did their research, I guess. But this is I got to see how this plays out, because, look, I I get it. You could say this is little Bill and little Ted, and those can mean girl names or whatever. Or maybe they named girls Bill and Ted, whatever. I'm open minded. Those look like boy babies. I don't know what boy babies
2: look like versus girl babies, because all babies look alike to me. Okay. but they do say their names are Bill and Ted. And they've, uh, what, taken the tutelage of
1: ZZ Top and Chris Cornell? Or at least they took their fashion (laughs) sense from them, because Bill's got the beard and yeah, Ted's got the facial hair.
3: And Ted, doesn't he have, like, the chest protector that catchers wear? Was Axl Rose doing that by this time in Guns N' Roses?
2: Yeah, I think so. But... William Sadler still steals the show coming out, playing the bass. And William Sadler (laughs) wrote the line himself. You might be a king or a little street sweeper, but sooner or later, you dance with the Reaper.
3: Uh, He didn't write that. He may have ad-libbed it. I I remember reading that in an old issue of Mad Magazine. Like, that was a joke. So he didn't write that. Yeah, because I read something and I ended up looking it up. And in uh,
2: 1992, a murderer was executed in california the first death in over a decade
3: yeah i remember this and he quoted that
2: yeah his last words were a misquote of this
3: (laughs) (laughs) he may have been quoting the original from mad magazine maybe
2: (laughs) maybe They're, they're killer last words no pun intended I think it's funny that, yeah, the, they needed a
1: bass player, but I, I thought it would be a bass guitar. He's actually playing a stand-up bass.
3: Yeah, this is the craziest band. We got two guitars. Okay, that's normal. An upright bass. You're, you sure you're not like some jazz fusion band? Congos, right. <laughs> like keyboards. <laughs> and the bongos don't even play in God Gave Rock and Roll to You. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're playing or if this is just music to set the mood. And this is where you do get Gene Simmons like this is Kiss. I guess that's – is that him or is that Ace Freely singing? It's
2: Gene and Paul go back and forth in kind of a duet. Or
3: Paul, okay. Ace was out of the
2: band by this point. This was a late 80s song. Ace and Peter were long gone.
3: They'd taken off the makeup by now, right? Oh, yep. yeah. Yeah, I like Villain Ted's energy, but there's supposed to be solos going on, and Keanu Reeves is doing power chords. Alex Winter doesn't even know what a power chord is. I don't know what he's doing with his hands. They are not playing this song. I think this song is just there to, like, set the mood. Sure. I don't think it's supposed to be them.
2: You know, I caught that this time because I was upset and I'm like they're not even singing yet I'm hearing lyrics I have always thought that they travel through time and come back to be a cover band <laughs> like, I was always thinking it was cheap that they came back and played somebody else's song but watching it this time what happens is you get to hear some Steve Vai guitar that I think ted is playing and then it fades into god gave rock and roll to you as the end credit song so we aren't hearing the world changing music of wild stallions
3: we're just hearing kiss the music is playing while the world's coming together and that fat slob and i don't know watching soccer on the tv he's dancing William Sadler in England is dancing the Chinese were probably dancing I don't remember specifically but like the world is coming together with whatever they're playing
1: and as we get into the credits we we get it told through a series of magazine covers that it only gets bigger and bigger that this moment is what gives them the ability to create a future utopian society
3: I have so many questions about this because I'm like, this for now plan, I got to do my due diligence. I wrote down every headline, but then I I try to look at the dates, too, to see if they're trying to give us some kind of chronology as this is going on. Because I'm like, we got face the music coming up and they only have one hit in that movie. That's what the trailer's telling me. They haven't succeeded yet. 30 years later, like what is going on? Because we're told that the the market is going crazy because of them, that they're playing the Grand Canyon, that they're going to play Mars by the end of this. I was wondering how you have
2: a sequel with these headlines. Like, I mean, they changed the world. Their dominance is here.
3: Here's the weird thing. And maybe they just weren't thinking of people with, you know, high definition being able to pause something and look at dates. One I think they just took real newspapers and then just changed the headline because if you read the story or if you read the other articles, like they're like real world stuff that like I thought they put little inside jokes in the in the smaller articles. Nope. It's just that headline. Some of the newspapers like New Stallions album number one. You know when that hit the newspapers? June 1st, 2691. Like a lot of this stuff is. The dates they give the newspapers are in the future. Some of the stuff, like when they're going to play the Grand Canyon, that's in 91. But the headline before that, when they're going to play Wembley, is in 2691. I'm wondering if they're even paying attention. They probably thought no one paid attention to this. If we're going to get some kind of alternate realities messed up because of time travel or something. like Because none of this makes sense if you actually pay attention to it and try to draw out some continuity.
2: Speaking of time travel... Here's one thing that does kind of irk me, I mean, it's small, it's a a personal problem I have that I can't get past it, but they time-traveled for 18 months to learn how to play, and came back to the exact same spot in time, and yet we were told in the last movie that when you time-travel, time keeps going in your old time period, so shouldn't they have left the current time period for 18 months?
3: I don't have a problem with this one because it makes more sense than the dilemma in the last one where, yeah, they only have two hours and they have to show up at that exact same time to do their report. This one makes more sense to me.
1: I took it to mean that they are 18 months older, even though they're reappearing a few seconds after leaving. That's the way that I take the time read.
3: Oh, so maybe, because again, I don't want to, we're now playing, so we're spoiling things. I'm just quoting the trailer for Face the Music. I mean, they're going to run into themselves in the future where they're in prison. So again, who, who knows what happened? Maybe a different Bill and Ted came back. Who knows? I mean, there, there's ways to explain this. I'm interested to see how they're doing it. I just see continuity issues based on what's been presented in the trailers.
2: Yeah, here's what I know from just looking at the IMDb cast list. Little Bill and Little Ted are apparently transgender women.
3: Oh, yeah, you see that in trailer two. They spoil that.
2: Well, that's the conversation for next week. But now, Jacob Stewart. Was this a bogus journey?
3: Jacob. I mean, look, I put it in the book about being in an underrated movie. So uh, there's a recommend there. But yeah, no, I think this is an excellent adventure. I I enjoy this one more than the first. The first one's cute. And like this one, because they could have gone that stupid, lazy route and they didn't. They try to come up with something new. And yeah, the fact that you're just going to kill your protagonist, like let's just send him to hell. That was kind of the attitude behind Gremlins 2 as well. Like we hated dealing with this gizmo puppet. So in this movie, we're just going to torture it and we're going to make this a total farce because we hate these cute animals that became so popular from the first. And I feel like, you know, they don't go as is crazy with this one but i love that it just goes everywhere that they go to hell heaven uh, that there's martians that there's robots i love the special effects here just uh, the evil robots i even like the good robots like the, yeah they look like they've been spray painted and put together with pvc pipes w- william sadler steals the show here for a good reason the dude is hilarious like i take back all, all that mocking of him uh with his naked jujitsu and die hard too <laughs> The man's incredible. I I actually can't wait to see Death Return. I think that's what I'm most excited about for Face the Music. But yeah, I I recommend this one. I think this one, because it's so widely different... Than the original, it feels like it has a subversive edge to it, to me at least, and and I like that. I like something, oh yeah, this was a cool property, but let's do something totally wacky and different and expand this universe. I wish Star Wars was this creative. I wish J.J. and and all Disney was able to mine Star Wars and find something new to do, like Richard Matheson's son, uh, who wrote Super Mario Brothers was able to do with this sequel. Like,
2: oh, agreed. Bogus Journey is better than Rise of Skywalker or The Force Awakens. The
3: Last Jedi, The Force Away. Yeah, easily. Like I think this movie's a lot of fun. If you like the last one, as an adult, you'll have a little bit more fun here because there is again a little edge to it. It's still pretty dull, but there's a little edge to it that gives it a little bit more fun. At least for me, that, that's why I'd sit down to watch this one before that original. Even just I know these films so well, I, I could just en- pop this one and enjoy it. So yeah, definitely a, a, another solid recommend for Bill and Ted. Stewart.
1: Yeah, I got your back. It's it's more creative, it's more daring than the first movie. I mean, yeah, some of the ideas feel lifted from Tim Burton, and it can't quite pull off the visual flair of the afterlife that Beetlejuice did, but it's still funnier than the one-joke premise of historical figures aerobicizing at the mall. I mean, I feel like that first movie really only had one idea about how to entertain you, and they stretched it out as far as it could go, and for me, it only kind of worked at the end. Here, I feel like maybe the end is kind of the problem. I do feel like, as Arnie suggested, it's a little messy. I was also kind of hoping, with Bill and Ted coming back from the dead, they would have a new perspective on life. I did think that it was an opportunity for them to show a little maturity, maybe tug the heartstrings just a little. They can air guitar still, but, you know, a little bit more heart, maybe a way to go.
3: I will say, Stuart... We'll have to see with face the music. But Kevin Smith, I watched the Comic-Con at Home panel, and he said he cried during the ending, that he really felt there was maturing of the character. So maybe that will finally happen. I'll table that for next week, because I definitely think they're
1: going to have to talk about maturity in the third movie. But I also want to side that the reason why this movie easily keeps this going for all of its 90 minutes is the addition of William Sadler as death. I mean, he's a really charming grim reaper. He is the funniest fish out of water. Can we agree? Oh, yeah. More than Socrates and Napoleon, like, this is the one that we enjoy seeing make his way through the world.
3: That's the irony that I think more people think of the first film, like that's the one they'd sit down to watch, but this character is the most popular in the franchise.
1: Yeah, this is a rare case of a sequel being better than the first movie. And, you know, last time I I looked at them as failing students that kind of pulled it out right at the the end. But here, for me, this is a solid recommend. I
2: have no reservation saying, go see this movie.
3: I am actually shocked.
2: (laughs) I'm going to stand alone then in saying that I think the first movie is a more solid experience. There's things I like about the second movie, Better than the first. There's nothing in the first film that is as good as William Sadler is in the second film. I love Death, and when they were making Bill and Ted 3, my only question is, is William Sadler returning? That's all I cared about. I couldn't believe Keanu was returning, but I only wanted William Sadler to return. But... I think with the first one, they had modest ambitions, they were a couple of guys just trying to break into Hollywood, and as you said, Jacob, they had this little sketch that they expanded to a whole film, and it met every goal it tried to do. Here, I think they're kind of swinging for the fences, and they get a double. They don't get the home run they're trying to do. They're not Babe Ruth here, because... I think there's a lot of messiness in the plot. I don't find Denomalus' comeuppance at the end satisfying.
3: I do like the fact that he ends up with Missy, if you read those <laughs> headlines.
2: That is the best Denomalus joke in the whole movie, is that Missy <laughs> marries him next. I hope they keep that continuity in the
3: next film. In one of the comics that came out a few years ago, that, that is actually the case. Like They pick up with Bill and Ted, and Missy is married to Denomalus in it. <laughs>
2: I liked that, but Denomalous's whole plot and motivation is shaky. The absence of Rufus is a disappointment because he was
3: inside. There's not much less of him here than in the first one. I didn't miss him, frankly.
2: He was around in the middle, too, and I definitely felt a lack of Rufus in this one. I thought he was an integral part of the last movie, and here he's an afterthought. I just think this movie tries to do better things but it doesn't always achieve its goals whereas the last one had lesser goals and met all of them so i think the last one is a stronger film experience but there is a lot here i like so it's definitely a recommend station so we feel the same way about it the difference is you loved the movie last time and i barely let it in I think I have more problems with this movie than either of you do when it comes to the ending and the pacing.
1: No, I mean, there's problems, but I don't feel like they've tarnished something that was perfect, I guess I would say.
3: Yeah, I'm watching someone play a really sloppy solo, but, you know, the drums are banging, that bass is keeping, you know, the rhythm going. Like, I'm enjoying the show. It's a better piece of music than they played last
2: time. I'd say they're trying to play a better piece of music, but they're not playing it as cleanly. But I'm still having fun at the show. And I love this movie soundtrack much more than last times, even though I still like Big Pig. Agree. (laughs) Some of the other songs extreme on that one. But here, Faith No More, Megadeths Go to Hell. I mean, yeah, even Tommy the Cat, which is probably my least favorite song on the soundtrack. Still a great soundtrack. You like Battle Station more by Winger. I do, indeed. I I will defend... You did say that was their second best song. And I don't have shame in saying I like winger what was that kid's name
3: on he was a butthead I don't remember
2: Stuart it was Stuart
3: wasn't uh, it yes! Stewart.
1: yes
0: it was it was you'd
1: think I wouldn't forget that <laughs> oh
2: well I I would use the word repress mm, that's probably <laughs> correct
3: even if Stuart liked winger he couldn't couldn't wear the shirt because he was a butthead <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: you caught me I will admit because of this review series. I did buy a Wild Stallion shirt online and if I go see part 3 in theaters, I will wear my Wild Stallion shirt proudly.
3: Yeah, I'll be there for video on demand in front of my TV. There's no theaters in LA. Again, I've only seen one trailer. I'm not sure.
1: Again, I hadn't even seen the other movies when I saw it. Are they just writing off the previous things as delusions? My my sense is that I don't know. They they're not potheads. They, 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 you can't say that you hit the bong and made all of this up, but I feel like this movie is going to take the stance that these are sad middle-aged guys who are deluded.
3: I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen. I, are they different versions of themselves? It does feel like a weird place to pick up based on the premise that the trailer tells us.
2: Yeah, I've just seen stills from it, but I'm like, these do not look like people who have saved the world from pollution and allowed us to converse with our house pets. And to end with some non-heinous news, we have a contest going on thanks to Paramount Home Entertainment. We're going to be giving away five digital download codes to Thomas, Jane, and Anne Heche's new movie, The Vanished. It's about a husband and wife whose daughter goes missing during a family trip. It gets creepy when Jason Patrick shows up as a cop and things are not what they seem. Apparently it's a new thriller that
1: just came out on VOD. You guys will get free access to it. I haven't seen it. I don't know. Maybe it's good, hopefully. But uh, it also gets you subscribed to our newsletter, which is a great
2: way of staying in contact with us. So it's a win-win. Yeah, if you are subscribed to our Now Playing newsletter, which we've recently rebranded, Now Playing in Focus, you're already entered to win this. But if you aren't, you can head to nowplayingpodcast.com, click subscribe at the top of the page in the header there, And the top is how to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. But right beneath that is how to subscribe to our newsletter. You just give us your email address, confirm the subscription through an email you'll get, and you're entered to win. You have until August 30th, and the winner will be announced on Tuesday, September 1st.
3: Yeah, it's really fun. We, we're we getting questions all the time to answer for that newsletter. If you like learning more about the host, you know, find out what we're watching. It's not always movies. It could be TV. It could be whatever. So lots of fun little things in there.
2: I'm probably surprising everyone. On the last newsletter, I'm watching animation. So head to nowplayingpodcast.com, sign up, get our newsletter, and maybe you'll be one of the lucky ones to get a copy of The Vanished.
1: We're also going to go back to the 80s, to a childhood movie I remember liking. hope it's true. I hope it's not one of these that I'm casting away that I'm talking about. Dark Crystal, an extra show for our August patrons.
3: Oh, I've wanted to revisit this one ever since I saw it as a kid. Like, I only saw it once, but I remember so much about it, and I've always wanted to revisit it.
2: First of all, patrons are getting an amazing thing right now because we're doing three patron-exclusive bonus shows in a row for $10 a month. That's in addition to getting every bonus show we've done before. However, while there's a lot of great exclusive content for our patrons who we appreciate so greatly, Dark Crystal. I didn't like it then. I saw it in theaters. Never looked back, so... Will this be Labyrinth all over again?
0: Mmm, mmm.
2: It is gloomy.
1: I do think that, like, if you like the Muppets, no guarantee you're gonna like. The, it's dark. Take them at their word. There's things that burn <laughs> up and die, and, and 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 cute little fur
2: balls that bite
1: you.
3: Oh, like yeah. The, what I I don't remember the names. Whatever those vulture dudes are, scared the hell out of me as a kid. They're still scary.
2: Mm-hmm. My hope is I was too young to appreciate it, and I'm gonna really
3: like it as an adult. Oh come on!
1: <laughs> really, like it is out of bounds, but maybe you appreciate it. Yeah, we can hope. And again, I just hope that what I remember feeling cool and and edgy holds water and doesn't like melt before my eyes. A, a childhood favorite falling apart, but we'll see. It's a whole world, and we're going to talk about it this Friday.
2: But no matter, last Friday our patrons got Castaway, which is a more modern classic film that we got to talk about. So if you want to sign up and get well over 40 bonus shows, head to nowplayingpatron.com and sign up. It's $10 a month and you get all the back exclusive episodes we've done and a new one at least every month and here in August too, and then another one first week of September. So thank you all for your support. We hope you can join us and thank you for listening to this show. Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, gentlemen, we're history.
0: Bill, my friend. Yes, Ted, my friend. This has been a most excellent adventure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. It is time. Their separation is imminent. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Ted, you and I have witnessed many things, but nothing as bodacious as what just happened. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. You must play me again. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews. Thank you. Welcome to heaven. Including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Besides, we told ourselves to listen to this guy. Uh, See you real soon. Uh, Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads.
2: I feel so bad for him. They've been doing this on their own for the longest time. Yeah, I wish there was some way we could help them out, you know? Yeah.
0: We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. I guess, maybe sell some more blood. Perhaps you should think about selling a couple of the instruments. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. We came to help you guys in your most unfortunate situation. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Extra credit, dude. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website.
2: And I've been wanting to meet you my whole life.
0: It
1: must be very disappointing.
3: Not at
2: all.
0: You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice.
1: Before you say anything, my distinguished colleague Ted and I
0: wish to express to you our thanks. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. You will come with me. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You are just a Noble creator. Associate produced by Jason Latham. But once again, I want to thank you for your very hard work. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. And very important, do not do your homework without wearing headphones. Now Playing credits read by Brock. I love show business. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. What if we were lying? Why would we lie to ourselves? Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. And what have you learned?
1: We have, uh, we've learned that the world has
0: great history. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. I worked within the system until I could stand it no longer. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vingonza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vingonza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. How'd you like our song? Party on, dudes! Catch you later, Bill Ted!
1: The Three Musketeers
2: with Chris O'Donnell. Like, I just didn't go near those films. I really like The Three Musketeers. I rewatched it recently, and while it's not exactly good, true to Dumas's original vision, I think that it has a lot of fun.
3: Dumas or dumbass, as the Grim Reaper would <laughs> pronounce it. Yeah, I might actually call that version dumbass.
1: I predicted that we would get to Chuck e. and... Chucky, why am I saying Chucky and Cheese I don't now? Because yeah. it's pretzels <laughs> and cheese? Pretzels and cheese, <laughs> Chucky cheese. Yeah, okay, yeah. I predicted we would get to a Chucky e. cheese... <laughs>